Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And Z steps into the portal. Ooh, portal. And as he passes through, his initial thought is that it would be a VR recreation of Ninja Princess. But instead, he finds himself standing in Happy Time Pizza in Middletown, Ohio, 1981. Is anybody else excited to be back at Happy Time Pizza? Uh, you know, it, it, of the first book, this location was one of my favorite chapters. Maybe not this exact location, because this is still an immersive replica, because he can smell the pizza, he can feel the stickiness of the floor, right? But what I really liked about this chapter in the first book was that we were able to find Happy Town Pizza in Ohio. And we tracked down the the owners of uh, of the house at that address that they someone someone had put into Google Maps. That was that was a good hunt. And uh and that was just that was probably my favorite I, and I don't honestly I don't know if if it actually led to the Klein's family house of some sort, but I gotta wonder. Yeah. You know, the, the irony was just too thick in following that little that little gold nugget trail. So, yeah, kind of. But at the same time, though, the chapter itself was sort of out of the way. This was in the midst of, of him just shooting in the dark and then playing a game for the really for the sake of playing a game. And that's when he got his coin. That's when he got his uh, his extra life, if you will. And here we are back in Happy Time Pizza listening to gameplay or reading gameplay. Yeah, and reading gameplay. So we're talking about a, not just trying to find Ninja Princess, but now he's literally back at the pizza place. He's combing through the variety of arcade machines and he finds that Sega Ninja cabinet. He also finds that he is no longer Z. He is Kira Underwood. Which I can imagine is a little jarring if you don't expect that. So, you know, he, he finds the cabinet. Princess jumps out of her fantasy Red Queen Amidal outfit and changes into ninja clothes. And the game is on. And it is th this point in the book where it gets a little redundant. You know, one level after another, he's killing blue ninjas, frogger ninjas, pastel ninjas, Spider ninjas, there's clowns, samurai, there's horses, there's rocks. Uh, you know, the level boss turns red, runs away, and you move on to the next section of the app. And I'll be honest with you, I was reading through this book. My initial thought here was that this game was a side-scroller. He described it as like a run-and-gun? Yeah. Like, uh, I was picturing the side-scrollers where you're like, you know, I mean, like I, you know, you think back to like the Mario Brothers, you're 
it's not you're you're not using a gun, but you're throwing fireballs. Uh, it's a hor- yeah. like a horizontal scroller, man. I'm thinking yeah. like Contra. I'm thinking like Castlevania. I, absolutely. You know, both of those 1987 Konami NES games. But, you know, the, these are the kinds of, of quote-unquote run-and-guns that I'm used to. Instead, this ended up being more like, uh, when I went to look at it, was something like Commando, uh, a vertical scroller. Kind of like those flying games where you're the plane and you're toward the bottom of the screen and you're moving left and right to avoid stuff and shoot stuff. Um, and then yet, it wasn't exactly like that either because you could move all around the map. And uh, your progression forward relied on you pushing that progression forward. I felt like that part of the level, I think he called it the avalanche level, where the boulders are coming down. You're right. kind of going up at a de- at an angle. I thought that would be very disorienting to play because it was really hard to, I guess, establish what plane you were in. Right. Because it's coming at an angle, right? It's bouncing yeah. from, from left to right, from top to bottom. And, and you're going across, it's almost as if you're looking in a two-dimensional way at the side of a hill. I feel like I've played other games well, a long time ago when I played games that had a bit of the diagonal tilt to it, and they were just as hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird perspective for sure. And, and also on top of that, the fact that the way that they have it so that the objects in the game kill you, like for example... If you touch the enemies, it's not the enemies that will kill you. It's their blades. Like So the collision was secluded to the actual dangerous part, unlike other games where if you touch any part of another sort of foreign object, you will, if you will, that's opposing you, you're dead, right? And they wouldn't just shoot you, not just, you know, choppy, choppy, but like it, pretty much if they, if they just even touched you. And in this game, the, the collision aspect uh, was narrowed down to the objects. That, that you could go past them or per se, you know, cross objects with them. And uh, unless they hit you with whatever their instrument of death was, you wouldn't get killed. So I kind of thought that was pretty cool. Um, that's interesting for a game because, uh, you know, collision physics is, is uh, you know, it's really what makes the game feel right as far as... Because if you've been in a game where the, the collision area was larger than the object and then suddenly the object flies past you and you die. And it just, you could tell there was like a slim margin between you and said instrument of death, but you died and you're like, I totally it didn't hit me. So that's a thing, right? That's a thing in gaming. So we are, uh, we've got horses, we got rocks, we got level bosses whose hair turns red and then runs away. We've got, Obsession, Jesse's girl, my best friend's girl uh, playing on repeat in the background. And we've got a good bit of dialogue about how this game was kind of developed by pacifists. But this kind of reminds me of like Batman saying he won't kill his enemies, but has no problem killing the henchmen. Right. Like, you know, like hanging them and breaking their necks and crap like that. But when it comes to like the Joker, for example, he's not going to kill the Joker. Because, well, you know, the, the game you're killing, like you're shooting, you know, throwing knives and, and shuriken and, and ninjas are dying. They're getting hit and dying. But as far as like the bosses are concerned, well, we don't want to show that they're dying. <laughs> it's kind of goofy for a game. I don't know how well thought that was. Then they can't appear in the program again. I I guess. So, you know, and then we round up that game with H and Shoto being like Mickey Goldman and 
Burgess Meredith, which were like the coach and uh, the dude in the corner yelling for Rocky to, to, to get in there and hit him again, hit him again. Right. I, I can imagine that. This felt a lot like the final gate. He's getting coached. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But less interactive. It was more like when they were talking, it was more like they interrupt, like, uh, like there it is. And it's like, yeah, I know my POV, asshole. You know? Right, exactly. And it would have been nice to have a little bit more than that. So game ends and he comes in second place right behind the letters K-R-A which stand for Kira Rosalind Underwood, which we later find out through sort of surmising. Well, no. No? He comes in second. Well, yes, but he puts in K-R-U, mm-hmm. which is under K-R-A. Right. And then he realizes, oh, right. That's what I should have put. K-R-A. Okay, so K-R-A is really sounds like Kira, whereas yeah. he put in K-R-U, which is Karen Rosalind Underwood. Yeah. But what she realizes, I, I believe we surmise thereafter, that that is Og had been there before him. Yeah. And he is, he is now walking in the shadow of someone whom he knows is in trouble at this point, which has got to be kind of creepy. Like you be in this virtual world and you realize that a guy who's been is now currently held hostage, being tortured and threatened death was there not long before you. And for whatever reason... Went in and only played the game, but kept going, right? By some something in the order of like two million points. Like, what his was five million, and and Z's was like three million or something. I, I don't know something. Oh, hundred thousand, hundred thousand, three hundred sixty-five thousand versus the five hundred and fifty thousand that Og bracked up. So when I first read this, and and I, I can prove this because I have all my notes under the presumption that that, that is Og's score, right? I was looking at that high score because obviously if you don't like that's a significantly higher score than uh, z's right and you know he said like maybe og kept playing because he still he may have had some lives to kill right and i'm like well why would he do that other than just trying to slow things down a little bit right then i was like well maybe he was trying to leave a message with his score Oh, that's interesting. That thought never crossed my mind. So the only thing I came up with, like on the fly while I was reading it, and I and I have to say I didn't really get to look into it further, was that five five zero seven five. So the same the score dropping the last zero is a zip code for St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. And I was like, well, maybe there, maybe he's saying, hey, I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's interesting. That's interesting. And for the life of me, I'm I couldn't tell you if that's where they are or not. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> it's been it's a while been so... since you read the whole thing. Okay, well it's good. It's nice to know that it's so been so long now that that you are where I am. All I know is that they're somewhere. Mm, okay. Well, all right. So I here I wanted to, to hit some standout points because we've, sure, we've kind of summarized it. things a bit. He takes a snapshot and and the chapter just ends on his shoulder, well, her shoulder being tapped, jumps and then turns to see a young Ogden Morrow and then cut scene, right? That's our cliffhanger before we move into chapter 13. But let me hit some standout details. There are just some really interesting hints here, some some neat references. And one is the use of shades or glasses as sort of a rearview mirror in the game. Uh, that when you're really focused in on the game, the ability to hang your, your shades on the side of the machine 
to see people coming up behind you potentially. And that's kind of a big deal also because, you know, usually uh, you had your wallet with you or, or somebody could, you know, pick your pocket or get uncomfortably close. And these are things that if you were really into the game, a momentary glance would, would maybe show this. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't wear shades, but I, I knew that that could be a thing for people who really hit the arcades hard because they, they didn't want somebody coming up and surprising them and they wanted something just off to the side to give them a little bit of a rear view. So I thought this was kind of a cool nod in that direction, that he's not just talking about games. Uh, he's really weaving in a, a little point of culture and, and usefulness, really, that I don't think many people would, would recognize or even think about today, even even in the arcades. I, he tends to do that. Like, I didn't really know about this quarter thing with like leaving your leaving a quarter, leaving a quarter on at the, the top. Yeah. Yeah. And all this was being done before the age of the internet. And apparently this was this got to be a widespread practice. So he seems to have a knack for just kind of like peppering in these little details. Well, it's like culture that's unique yeah. to a group of people for a given setting, given place, right? A, a video game, a sort of arcade cabinet playing culture. I want to say video game culture because we do have a video game culture now, but then arcade culture where these things were understood. I, I couldn't even imagine going and leaving my quarter on a machine. I would think that the guy that was playing might think I'm paying for his next game and they wouldn't get it. So, so I thought that was pretty cool. I kind of like that nod. One of the things that I wasn't really, uh, this is, was probably one of the most strenuous chapters because, okay, so for a few things. For, so first off, we're led to believe here that Parzival is out of practice. He's off his quote unquote game. He's only played this a couple times and it was a number of years ago. He's reading the instructions on how to play this game. Ouch. And we're led to believe that he's just going to play through it. Like he's just going to like get in the zone again. Yeah. Like, like Parzival. I mean, we should keep in mind here that in the first book, he struggled. He struggled with, with playing, um, Pac-Man. Well, he struggled with playing Pac-Man. Sure. I mean, that oh, was also kind of joust. a long, he, I was thinking had, joust primarily because he did lose one out of the two joust games and he had a lot of time playing joust. Right, yeah, but but that you you could buck that up to nerves. Other than never here, and and he's out of practice, you know. And and before, like his friends were kind of guiding him through. And I don't remember what the other game was, but it was that you know that that the one where you're looking down the pit. Yeah, we, that's um, what the Tempest. hell was that called? Tempest. Thank you. And then going around the edge, and they're giving him hints. Right, yeah. and he's not great at it, and he's he's saying like here. There was no threat. There was no feeling he wasn't going to make it. He was just kind of like, and it was here that I got into my groove. And then, and then we go through the painful process of stepping through each and every board and describing it in the level of detail. That's just kind of like, it feels like filler. Mm-hmm. Like we had to, we had to fill pages and we're going to describe every, and, it, and I get that my complaint might simply be because I had not played the game before and I did not have a nostalgia associated with this game. But it's a boring game. <laughs> it doesn't mean looking at it. It looks. I did not get anything out of the, watching the gameplay online. Yeah, I can't imagine being excited to play that game. This is in that weird time frame between 
the 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 early early like 1983ish right when those games came out into into a more complex form which is this right before we get into 87 with again like as i mentioned something like castlevania you go and you look at that and that is seemingly infinitely more complex of a game and only two years difference in the publishing of the two games I remember playing Castlevania. Like that was a fun scroll. game. You had a whip. It's awesome. The whip, and you had like all the the different knives. places you could go. Like the thing is, like I don't, I don't know if I ever got close to beating that game. Maybe I did. I don't know. But at least you were kind of working your way through the castle, which is the same kind of concept, right? Well, I mean, it's just fun to roam around and try to get all the different like skill things with the different, like you get like different whips and stuff, right? Right, where you, you had like the three chain whip. Yeah, right, I got to see if that's on my uh, like my NES Mini. So see where I can go on it. You know, I I just I struggled trying to listen to this. I was kind of like, it's like and on level seven. I'm like, jeezy, crazy. He's like, and we were halfway through. I'm like, you're not gonna read all fourteen or thirteen levels of this thing, are you? Yes, he did. So I uh, I struggled with this one. I really struggled listening through this. And this is the first time I think I've struggled listening through any given chapter of his book. So me wrong. Like some of these chapters can get either dark or maybe a little repetitive. But man, this one just um, this one was just dialing it in, just barely dialing it in. I think maybe what he was trying to do was uh, I can't think of the right phrase here, but it Perhaps he was just trying to like put this game on a bit of a pedestal because it. I don't think anybody thinks about it anymore, and like there is a little bit of an interesting history to it. Sure. And like maybe describing it the way he did was a way to say to anybody who's into kind of vintage gaming, check out this game and understand the history. I think possibly also for people to kind of learn from the game's mistakes and like this whole idea of like the the heroine demoted to hero and that how that's not, that's not appropriate. Well, and I appreciate the fact that, that our culture has come so far that women in gaming has become way more prevalent and that there have been more games that, that focus on more than just guys running and gunning and doing shit. Right. I, I really do appreciate that. Uh, it's just, gets tired of listening to, you know, 30 guys just freaking chatter on the line. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's good. I think it's 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 also makes for good history, and it's it's cool like that. But I'm, I want you to, I want you to imagine here, right? If I'm describing a game to you and I want to get you excited about it, and I tell you, dude, this game has like an assortment of bad guys, like thirty different kinds of bad guys, and it's not just one kind of thing. Like there's one that's kind of like Frogger. There's one with 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 boulders running at you. There's one where horses are running. You got to dodge them. This game is awesome, and you know what? At the end of the day. It's just a play. So you're not really killing us. If you feel bad about just doing all kind of slaughtering, you're killing your parents or giving you a hard time about playing violent games. You just tell them it's like Macbeth. At the end of the day, the actors don't die. This game is awesome. Like I can ramp this up in less than a paragraph and make it sound good. It really doesn't quite fit because I feel like in the first book, definitely when he was describing gameplay, he did it so like perfectly it was succinct you got the point it gave you enough interest that like you know what i want to see what that looks like and you watch a few videos you get it yeah you don't need 
pages upon pages of description of this thing. I don't need. I don't. I don't need every level ruined in drab detail. Well, like first it was four blue ninjas, and then I killed them quickly. And then it was a bunch of parachute pant ninjas, and I had to dodge them, but I killed them quickly. And then it was the guy that with the red hair, and I killed him. You know, I didn't kill him, but he turned red and he disappeared. On to level two. You know, it's like, oh God, we're really going to do this? You got to wonder, like, where were the editors? Like, hey, maybe cut this back a little bit. I, well, the chapter's already pretty short. So, I mean, I get getting to a place where you have that cliffhanger. But I, first off, my immediate thought was this will not be in the movie. Whatever movie they do next, this chapter is not in it. Not like this. Right. They're not going to have a chapter that's just him playing a video game through 14 levels and watching the screen and and then people coming around him. And then I mean, they're not going to get that. That is not as interesting to see or evidently read as one might think. And it kind of reminds me of hackers. You've seen hackers, right? No, we talked Damn about it. this. I, it, and I thought you caught it's it available up. on streaming. Why I don't will... you just invest a buck on Amazon and get it? It's is it a cheap. buck on Am? If it's a buck on Amazon, I will get it. Okay, it's probably more than a buck on Amazon, but it's probably not more than a few bucks to rent. And it's worth it. It's worth it. But let's it's... let's we'll get for everyone else who knows hackers. You know, there's this point where they are gathered together and they're trying to hack this worm that they're getting blamed for putting into this oil company's computer system and. You know, it's just it's this musical montage of this sort of techno music. There's paper flying off of this dot matrix matrix printer. You know, Dade, Mur Dade, Dade Murphy is hacking with his glasses on, you know, reams of cryptic text is just coming out. You know, you've got, you know, the other characters with like swords and hanging out or just reading it. It's kind of it's a montage, right? It's a musical montage. And and you get this Mandel brought fractal spirals of code sort of blooming and unfolding in this sort of imaginary universe of code in his mind as he's reading through. If we were to just actually describe what he was doing, it would be boring AF. Having programmed for 30 years, it's you may think it's that cool. I guarantee you it is not. It's hours of energy drink looking at a screen and a bunch of text. It's like looking at math books, truly, for for dozens of hours. So, you know, like that, there's a way to describe it that could make it compelling. And there's certainly a way you could do it in a movie to make it compelling. But the actuality of it is just boring. Yeah. While you were ranting, it looks like hackers may be available for free on YouTube. <sighs> well, there you go. Do you have YouTube Prime or YouTube, whatever YouTube's? No, I, I think I, I think it's just on YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Don't know why, but I was able to scroll through and see that it is the movie, it seems. I guess I have no excuse now. Damn it. Well, it's a good movie, dude. It's a good movie. You don't have to be a gamer. You don't have to be a hacker because that was the gist of it, right? It was technical enough that people who were kind of in the industry were kind of like, okay, okay, they're, they're, they're using some words. We know somebody wrote this with a little bit of knowledge here. And then the way that they actually describe everything happening, you kind of sit back and go, <laughs> it's not quite like that. That would be as if you were coding on acid and, and nobody looks that cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> at the time that was like a programmer. No one dressed like that. No one was that cool. It, but it was a fun movie nonetheless because it kind of glorified it. Like I said, an industry that was interesting, but not that interesting. They, they basically ritzed that up quite. I mean, lots of lots of bling here. Lots of bling. They bedazzled the shit out of that movie. But I mean, can you imagine if that that chapter where he's going through Pac-Man, if he had described every level of Pac-Man, I got past level 32, there's more yellow dots and the angled walls seem harsher and the ghosts are moving faster. Here we go. And then the next level, they moved even faster. And then they moved faster. And then I ate some blue ghosts because I got a power pill. It's clear that this chapter is not benefiting from the idea that less is more. Right. That's a good way to put it, I guess. I'm, I don't, Like I said, I'm not trying to shit on the chapter. I'm just trying to... It's kind of like... Uh, it, it was a hard chapter to read. Let's just put it that way. This book had been on a pretty good trajectory as far as... Imp- like, Let's be honest. The first few chapters were a little bit slow, to put it mildly. I and enjoyed then started to And things started to ramp up a little bit and get right. like really exciting. And then this just kind of like put a little bit of brakes on it. It was just kind of like, <sighs> next step. Yeah, and I think the, the point of the chapter was that it was trying to bring back the feeling of looking over the shoulder of your friend that was exploring a part of a game that rarely anyone ever saw. You weren't just watching somebody playing a game. You were watching them unlock areas of a game that most people couldn't get to. And this was really important in the arcade culture. That's probably the reason why people who really started to get along real far occasionally would get a crowd. And that's another thing. I never attracted a crowd playing a game. Granted, I didn't get like hours into a game, but I I don't think I ever saw a crowd gather around one person in all of my arcade experience. Uh, But at the very least, if somebody got really far, the attractor here is that if you even enjoyed the game, the ability to even catch a glimpse of the really difficult and deep levels, even for a moment, would give you a hint as to maybe how you might tackle those levels or how much difficulty there was between levels. If you're looking at somebody playing level 30 and you've only made it to level 15 and it seems you know harder, but maybe not that much harder, kind of gives you some hope that everything in between is gradually more difficult. Something along those lines. But, it, you know, at that time, you couldn't just go to YouTube and look at these levels, right? <laughs> and sure. if you're playing it in the arcade, guess where you don't have it? You probably don't have the game at home. So these were moments to glimpse these rare boards that you may never see. And to get a, get a feel for just how crazy the game would get. Or if you were lucky to see somebody finish a game. I've never seen someone finish a game of anything of that sort where you had three lives and that was it. And when you were done, you were done. I've never seen somebody complete a game. They would just play so far that third life would go. And that was the end of the game. They had to start over. So I'm not saying the attraction of crowds didn't happen. I'm just saying I never saw it. You were never in the crowd and you were never the cause of the crowd. Exactly. Sadly. What can you do about it now other than, you know, I guess cry about it. No, 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 not so much. No, no, just, just, 
you know, it's one of those things where we'll go to a arcade, arcade with my son and I can sit back and say, hey, kid, back in the day, people used to use their glasses to see behind them when they got, you know, super deep into the game. Or some people would play this game for hours on one quarter. Try it. Yeah, but my kid would be like, I don't care. Where's Mortal Kombat? <laughs> you know? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. So is there anything else about this chapter that you, know, you, you want to uh, kind of dive into? I do, I do kind of, because there's, there's a bit here that I thought was unusual. And that was the songs. So we've got Obsession by Animation. Jesse's Girl by Springfield, and we've got My Best Friend's Girl by the Cars. And I might say, I might add, Rick Springfield tried his angle in at a, at a, a television series, uh, Being a Vampire. And there was like one show with a pilot, and then it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> so we've got these songs. And, and I'm thinking to myself here, if somebody was to create this narrative, and that's what this is. This is a narrative, right? He, he's going into a realm that's been set up for him by someone else to play through a story. I mean, granted, the story was playing a video game for a chapter, but it's a little bit more than that because we've got this music playing in the ground, background. Now, we've talked about who could have created this game, right? Who created this challenge, this seven shards? Yeah, who did this? And, you know, we've kind of batted back and forth. And, and my guess in the past has been that maybe Kira did, that there were some elements that I felt like maybe she was the only one that could have done this. For example, the bedroom, right? That her parents wouldn't have let anyone in. She's the only one who would have had memories of that bedroom. So for a while, I was battering around the idea, maybe, maybe Kira is in here and and for some reason, she's broke apart. Like, I was kind of really uh, shooting blind there. So, I'm thinking about these songs. And would Kira program these songs in? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, so think a girl would be sitting there, would, would be going through and saying, all right, for this narrative, I'm going to play these three songs. Because these guys really like me. And these are the kinds of songs I think that they would think would relate to me. Like that seems so odd, right? And almost self-absorbed. Uh, too much so. Too much so, maybe. And then I thought, well, all right. Maybe this is Halliday, and Halliday set all this up for some weird reason. But that seems very strange, too. Why would Halliday have these songs in? Because initially, wasn't it Halliday that initially 
sort of pursued the relationship. And when that didn't go anywhere, that's when Og came in after the fact. Call me crazy, but it, it, isn't that the narrative from the first book? I think it was always that he never had like the the balls to say anything to her. Right. Like he could only talk to her like, you know, using his avatar kind of name and the and never really could talk to her about anything other than that kind of stuff. I don't recall him having tried. Okay, that could be wrong. So I guess it just kind of depends on the answer to that question. I don't fully have that fleshed out. But let's let's say for a moment that that was not the case. I mean, just looking at the perspective of this, you know, who would put these songs in? And then it kind of came to me, you know, the person who would know the answer to this game, not just by guessing, would also be the person who made it. Uh, and you could guess at it, but but would it have to be the person who made it? So in my mind, my thinking is that Og did this. And if if I was to play out the story, and I'm hoping that maybe it goes in this direction, but maybe it doesn't, I, I could imagine a narrative in this book where Og works with Halliday to create this this ONI and uses it to capture the memories of Kira and maybe preserve her in some way. And that at some point he realizes that even the memories of Kira uh, are not good enough. They're not real enough. But to not also have the gumption to shatter, to not not to kill her off as a, as a character within the game, but rather maybe to, to separate her. Something along those lines. Then somewhere in there, that there is the the uh, you know the need to take over potentially. That if 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 someone had to take the game over, the the key would be to maybe putting her back together in some way. That ending the game, ending putting these pieces together would grant whoever did it the kinds of powers that Og has in the game that maybe Og is the other person to potentially grant power. And either that's going to be granting it, taking it for himself and preventing somebody else from getting it, or maybe granting it to himself or granting it to whomever inherited the game or something along those lines. Cause Og already has like super user powers anyhow, but maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something a little bit more meta. Maybe there's another level of control within the game that that Og put out there as a as a potential failsafe, and that when too many people started taking on the ONI, that this became available to then come in and take the power away from the person who was running the company, whoever that was at the time. I don't know. I'm kind of playing with the narrative in my head here to figure out, you know, where is this going? You know, you've been thinking a lot about this. Yeah, for at least twenty minutes. So. Uh, but, you know, when these songs came on, I was like, you know what? My initial thought of Kira putting this together and that everyone else is trying to guess this has got to be wrong. It's just got to be a wrong angle because why would somebody put these songs in there? Almost, It's, it's almost like talking to about yourself in the third person. It's just strange, you know? Anyhow, these songs kind of spurned those thoughts as to who who would have put these songs in and whoever is the person who would have put these songs in where it's relevant is, is the creator, which then if I'm right and it is Og, why wouldn't he be willingly moving in the direction of putting those, those shards together 
and then capturing whatever is at the end in order to maybe shut this whole thing down. So that, that part of me is kind of like, that's probably not the angle. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Yeah. I think that that will probably unlock a number of other things as well. But All I right. can say that I'm happy to be out of this one. I don't know how you get to that kind of last scene where you see a young Ogden Morrow and not just immediately want to turn the page. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that's, that is something that, that Ernest Klein is really good at is that no matter how much of a struggle a particular chapter is, uh, in fact, this chapter reminded me very much of the trip from the stacks to Ohio, where he gets on the bus and then he travels through the land and then he makes it into Ohio. And you're kind of like a whole chapter that's him traveling. But at the end of every chapter, he does a really good job of making you want to turn the page. And I do love that. I do love that. Yeah, it's the kind of writing I like. Cool. Sometimes I'm frustrated by it because like, ah, oh, I just want to go to bed. But now you got me wanting to turn the page. Just don't want to stop listening. Don't want to stop reading. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else you can think of for this chapter before we close it up? The only thing that I guess I guess I thought was potentially frustrating, or maybe not frustrating, but I thought was maybe a detail that, so some discrepancy. Hmm. He had said, you know, when he was talking about being a happy time pizza, and it should have felt familiar, but it was like because he was wearing the O&I, it was different. And he said, this time I could smell the tomato sauce and burn pepperoni grease in the air. Mm. And what bothered me about that was when he was at Happy Time Pizza last time, he turned on his smell tower to smell the tomato sauce. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good reference, man. So he actually could smell it. But you know what I have to imagine? It's way different. <laughs> I've got to imagine that the smell tower... From a technology perspective, is probably nowhere near this. Yeah, and like you know, as we were sitting here going through this chapter, and I was like looking at my note about that and rereading the the actual language in the chapter, I was like, maybe That's what he's saying catch, is though. that like it's this time I could smell the tomato sauce and burn pepperoni grease in the air, and like that as a you know. Like that, maybe the combination of those two things like really kind of brought the pizza together or something. I don't know. Well, he but, wouldn't uh, have had a smell tower now, but he would be able to sense air. He would be able to sense the memory of smelling scents through the air. You know, like it is still totally immersive. Uh, it's just, you know, it, the, the, the smell tower, <laughs> the scent tower. Uh, it, it had to have felt more genuine with the... Yeah, but the LNI. Yeah, yeah. So, just, so I'm going to give it that like, a hard reproduction of that memory for sure. That's a that's pretty cool, and and you know the fact that it is it, that kind of thing is is neat because what's been described of the ONI device has been you have your interaction there, and then you have other people's memories that you are just kind of taking a backseat and experiencing. But in this description of the ONI. And I don't think we've had this description yet. He's not taking a back seat. Like, he controls the main character. He controls what I presume is the memory. He and, certainly, uh, he's an actor in it. Yeah. Like, his actions make a difference versus sitting back and taking a ride. So, I'm curious to see if that plays out anymore. Because uh, there were, in the last book, new technologies that unfolded through each gate. 
And I don't know if this was just a subtle way of saying that this is a very different way of interacting with memories. Rather than just being a participant, you're actually an actor in it. So anyway, interesting nonetheless. Okay, want to wrap it up? Yeah, I think we I think we nailed it. It's you know it's a short chapter. We, we burned through it, and uh, there were some little hidden nuggets still nestled within. All right. Well, that said, this is Chris, and this is Aaron, and we will catch you in the next chapter of Ready Player Two. Thanks. See ya. So one of the things we didn't we didn't hit on real hard, but I, I, I wanted to. I put notes here to, to talk about this is this idea that that he got through the game in one try. Yeah. You know, I'm expected to believe that Parzival, who had trouble with games that he was very familiar with, could make it through. And he didn't really die. I think like he lost maybe one life and then he gained others. And this did not feel like a threat. Like it was like I was in the zone. I got back into being B and Z. It's like, no, no, you're out of practice. You're, you're fucking the furthest thing from Gunter there is at the moment. Yeah. You're, you're hiring out people to do your gunting for you. You, this isn't something you just get back that quickly. Uh, No, no, not at all. And, and let's take a look at other games during that period of time. Think like, for example, Donkey Kong, right? People poured hundreds of hours into some of these games to be able to finish them. This idea that he can come back rusty and just get in the zone. And then and it, there's no feeling of threat. There is no struggle. It was, you know, more a focus on, let me tell you how I know that, I, that how this game plays. You know, let me prove to you that I played this game to the end by describing all of the levels, maybe. And and just no feeling at all, no threat. No, I did I did not feel at all, and maybe that was the biggest struggle. There was there was no suspension, right? I did not feel like there was any threat of him not getting through this game. Yeah, it, if he was able to get through this game after only playing it a few times six or seven years ago, then this can't be a hard game. Yeah, well, we've watched it. You know, we watched it on YouTube. It doesn't honestly look all that hard, but still, I mean, it. again, people spend a lot of time. In, and the reason why they spend a lot of time is because they'll go, they'll go, they'll go, and then a board will, will be very different. Rocks will be coming at a weird angle, and you've got to figure that out, and then you're going to die, and then you memorize the pattern after a while, and you get past it. And then, oh, there's horses? What the hell? You're going to get trampled, and then you recognize the pattern, and then you get past it. That, that's the point, is that the game unfolds itself to you as you move from one level to another and you start to experience new uh, characters, new challenges. I can speak from some experience where, because I got the little Nintendo, the uh, the NES Mini, and I was I wanted to play Metroid, oh, Metroid start to finish, game. but I was I was watching videos of somebody doing a walk a walk through the game and doing it. Mm-hmm. I can save. You can save states in it. So if you screw up, you can just go back to where you literally the beginning just were. of that state. Yeah, and like I was doing that constantly because I 
you know, I was screwing up. Yeah. Well, man, Metroid's a hard game. It's a hard game. I don't tell you, it's a difficult game. And this one's not nearly as difficult as that, given what I've seen. This was, yeah. But still, this idea that, that you know, he's going to play a game and he's going to get through, what was it, 14 levels the first time, after only playing it a couple times, six it's years ago. It's a shenanigans thing. I mean, like, at least with, like, the Pac-Man perfect game thing, we knew about the amount of time he was spending. We knew he had all these resources and that he had, you know, at least he had tried fairly recently. But he And he was also back in his kind of Gunter peak. It, it would have made more sense if there was more interaction from Shoto and H. If they were saying, all right, for the next level, there's going to be boulders coming down. You're going to have to dodge them. But don't worry, at certain angles, they won't touch you. So you'll be cool. And you'll be like, yeah. oh, okay, thanks for that. Like if, if they were feeding him the secrets for every map, and then that kind of like, that would have helped to supplement the pattern that you would otherwise learn by experiencing it for the first time. It was a lost opportunity to have Shoto or H reference like their like their Grail diaries. You know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. they whatever they were using for their references to be like, hey, wait a minute, you know, let me go to my inventory and, and like I have notes from the original contest on this game. Yeah. Like that might have actually been interesting. Yeah, there were there this was a lost opportunity to provide some narrative with the supporting characters. You know, um, rather than just going through every chapter, like or every level, uh, you know, they they could have really kind of interplayed and and on the in between, you know, and then once we really reach level seven, I started seeing, you know, these these guys jump around. I was like, okay, what the hell is this guy's? All right, these guys are easy. This is how you take care of them. Okay, okay, you know, like like we we could have reduced the technicality of walking through every level. And turned it into a narrative with the other characters, and yeah. then like like halfway through, it turns into like a history lesson or some shit, and then he just continues on, and then you know he just tells you about how to how the how it looks when you finish the game. It, it again, it's 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 really easy to harsh on on an on a, somebody who's being creative, but in this moment, like if the goal was to entertain me, like I feel like there would have been a better way to do it. Well, cause, and we know he he's done it perfectly many times before yeah yeah and 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 i think you know that's kind of the that's kind of the thing right is that if he wasn't as successful at it previously we wouldn't know he had the capability of doing it better but but our expectations wouldn't be so well our expectations wouldn't be for what we experienced before which is was you know fun uh again this idea that the character that that z it just felt out of character z has been failing and flailing for the past, well, since the beginning of the damn book, you know, at every turn. And then for him to pick this game up and go, oh, I'm in the zone now. And, you know, I get the teams back together and everybody's, you know, vibing, but, you know, it, it, still rusty, right? I mean, did you ever see the second Kingsman v- movie? No. <sighs> All Sorry. Right. Well, one of the sort of father figures to the protagonist of that movie, uh, it's believed that he dies in the first one. And he actually doesn't. He's got like brain damage, though. And there's this one scene where he goes and locks the door in this bar. And he says this thing, which basically tells you that shit's about to go down and he's about to kick everyone's ass. And in fact, in the first movie, this happens. But he doesn't. <laughs> he, he like he like misses on a number of otherwise you know high level skill shots that he would have done with ease. I um, mean, he does get his ass handed to him a little bit, 
and you recognize, okay, well, that makes sense. He's not 100% up to par. Like, we can't expect him to be badass yet. He's still progressing. You know, he's come from a place where he, you know, has, he's been disabled by this, this tragic event. And, um, and this moment where you feel like, oh, he's going to get his groove back. He does it. And then you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And I feel like that was this, this, that should have been this, that should have been him struggling with something that otherwise he should have found easy if he was on his game and he didn't do <laughs> it. Again, there was a lot of opportunity here to to really emphasize the fact that Parzival relies on his friends and and needs them more than ever now. So, anyways, anyways, that was that part we left out. That was just kind of you know, a thing. 